0: If you'd like to open your Bibles to uh Isaiah chapter 53, we will be there. Although I will quote Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 many times. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And you can hear that, you can hear that phrase, and you go, what what kind of a joke is that? (laughs) The meek don't inherit the earth, the meek get run over, right? The meek get beat up, they get pushed around, they lose, right? No good deed goes unpunished. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek, and he either knew what he was talking about, (laughs) or he didn't. Uh, He was either right or he was wrong, and and today's passage illustrates that Jesus knew exactly what he was saying, and that he was right, right? It also shows us how it works that the meek will inherit the earth. Because in today's passage, Jesus is oppressed. The way the New American Standard says it, in verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted. In verse 8, he was oppressed by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. In verse 9, it doesn't use the word oppressed, but it says even his grave was assigned with wicked men. It shows them continuing to try to oppress him. But we're going to see how he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Then he was oppressed and judged, but when they tried to oppress him even in death, something happened and they could not. They were not able to do it anymore. The meek do inherit the earth. Jesus is victorious. Let me read just verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Now I am not a shepherd, I do not shear sheep, I do not slaughter sheep, uh, I don't do any of those things, but I have been told many times that these statements are true. Right. A lamb that is led to the slaughter goes silently and a sheep that is being sheared is silent. They do not make a lot of noise. So he did not open his mouth. But before we get into that, I'd like to just talk about that word oppress by oppression. And he was oppressed and afflicted by oppression and judgment, first to oppress to the word "oppress" means to keep down by cruel and unjust use of power or authority. To oppress someone is to hold them down unjustly uh, by the use of the power or uh, either either you are oppressing them, you are holding them down by the power and authority you have or someone else is holding you down by the power and authority they have. They are preventing you from doing what you would do. And, And the Hebrew word, uh, that is used in verse 7 when it says he was oppressed and afflicted is the same Hebrew word they use to describe the slave drivers in ancient Egypt when the taskmasters forced the, the Hebrews to make, more, to make the same number of bricks with less straw, and they, were, they oppressed them. They held them down by an unjust use of power and authority. Uh, what they had done before, I don't know that you would call it unjust. I mean, I, I don't think you could call it just. But once, it, once they made the added burden on them, it, it definitely took on that realm of unjustness. And that was the same word for oppressed that is described, used to describe Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. The verse 8 word, oppression, is actually a very different word. And it carries more the idea of restraining or restricting someone. Uh, But the English word oppression works well for both of those. And he was oppressed and he was afflicted. And these could apply to a whole lot of Jesus' ministry. A huge part of Jesus' ministry, they tried to oppress him, uh, where they tried to stop him, right? They tried to arrest him. They sent soldiers out to arrest him and and to stop him. They were oppressing him. They were unjustly using their power. They had the power to arrest him. They didn't have a legal right because he hadn't broken any laws. But they had the power to do it whether they had a legal right or not. And they tried to oppress him. They called him demon-possessed. They challenged his motives. They tried to convince people not to listen to him. Uh, They were oppressing him. They were unjustly using their power. They tried to trap him uh, when they came, and they they asked him their hard questions and... and, and, you know what about the man who is or the woman who is married to seven brothers? Which one's hers in heaven? They, they, that was a trap. When when they brought the widow caught in the, in the act of adultery, it was a trap. When they came and said, you know, who do you pay taxes to? It was a trap. They tried to trap him. These were oppressive techniques, uh, and, and so this does apply in various ways to Jesus in his ministry. But but I think this most clearly and especially as we find it used here, uh, is applying to his death. They oppressed him in his death. Right, Matthew 26, we're, we'll spend a little visit in, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke here. Uh, Matthew 26, uh, when they tried to uh, arrest him, I'm, I'm sorry, when they did arrest him uh, and had him on trial. It was a, it was a you know, kangaroo court by, by any means. It was an illegal trial in the first place, which fits exactly that definition of oppressive. But it goes on and we find Jesus Christ being silent like the Lamb before its shearers. Matthew chapter 26, verses 62 and 63, the first part of 63. Uh, Jesus is before them and he is being accused by them as they come and they are, they are throwing these charges at him. And this is before the Sanhedrin. This is the, the religious court of the Jews. They are bringing before him these charges. Uh, and and uh, they bring them against him. And the high priest, verse sixty-two, the high priest stood up and said to him, "Do you offer no answer for what these men are testifying against you?" And, and it was like he was—he was. How can are you not going to defend yourself? Where is your answer to these guys? These people are saying these things, and they wanted Jesus to defend himself. And Jesus just sat quietly. He did not defend himself. And when I say they wanted him to, because they thought they would be able to trap him, I guarantee they would be able to trap me uh yeah mike anderson if if you have not met him is a skilled interrogator and and he's the kind of guy i understand how it works when you talk to mike and then he starts following up with questions using your own words to trap you in what you said and you realize uh you see i i i I know you heard me say that (laughs) but that's not what i meant but you said right and they think they're going to do this with Jesus and and of course they couldn't because Jesus is too good for them but but it says do you offer no answer for what these men are testifying against you they expected him to answer but Jesus kept silent Uh, and the high priest goes on and he he says uh, what about this are you the Christ the son of God to which Jesus does answer Uh, and and uh, because they finally have something true, and he does answer with that. But he was silent. He did not answer. Same gospel, a few verses later, in verse 68, he is now um, uh, being taken by the soldiers, right? Uh, they, they take him by the soldiers. It says they, beat, they spit, his fa- spit in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? And for them, they thought this was a lot of fun. Let's beat him. And and, ha. and, and, and he could have easily looked and said, well, that was you, Flavius. <laughs> and believe me, Flavius would have said, uh. Ugh. <laughs> and Jesus could have done that. He could have shut him up real quickly. But he did not answer. He did not say anything. He did not do anything. He did not try to stop them in any way. He was like a sheep, silent before its shearers or before the one who is going to slaughter him. And we go just a few verses more, and Jesus is now in front of Pilate. We're into the next chapter, starting at verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, So you are the king of the Jews. And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not offer any answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? And he still did not answer him in regard to even a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. And Jesus stayed silent. He did not defend himself. He just sat back quietly and said nothing. And we have to go to the Gospel of Luke because Luke is the only one of the Gospels that tell us that Jesus went before Herod also. But when Jesus went before Herod, you can probably guess what's going to happen. He's going to stay silent again. Luke chapter 23, verses 8 and 9. Herod's kind of an interesting case because Herod sees Jesus as a, a distraction and, inter, and entertainment quality something about him, because it says, Now Herod was overjoyed when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he'd been hearing about him, and was hoping to see him some sign performed by him. Herod wanted to see the magician do tricks. That's what Herod was hoping for. And Jesus is no magician who does tricks. Uh, verse 9, And he questioned him at some length, but he offered him no answer at all. So Jesus did not speak. And Jesus could have so easily spoken in his own defense. Jesus could have done this, he, we, and how do we know? Because he did it so many times. We've seen him again and again shut down the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We see their traps not work. We see see them 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 try to trick him in his words, and it doesn't work. He's 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 able to defeat them, but he does not here. Why does he not? Because he is he is there for a purpose. He is there to be the, the lamb that was slain. He is there to be the sheep that was slaughtered. And, and by the way, Peter describes all this in 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 21 through 25 and Peter gives us a summary of what happened and a lesson we can learn from it 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 21 and 25 he refers to the same thing and says by the way you can do the same thing starting uh, 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 21 through the end of the chapter for you have been called for this purpose Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body upon the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed." For you, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And we find, you know, we have again that, that comparison, the, the, the great exchange, if you want to call it, where he was our substitutionary atonement. We strayed like sheep. He... Bore the punishment. Peter is clearly referring. I don't know if he was he was reading Isaiah before he did this, but I'm pretty sure he had it in mind uh, as he went through this. He brought our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And as he did, he did, he was silent, and he gives for us that example, and he says we should be the same way. And what is going on here is that Jesus was meek. He was meek. Uh, you look up meek; it means patient and mild. Not given to anger or resentment. Patient and mild. Like a lamb led to the slaughter like a sheep before its shears. And the word, the the description we have has nothing to do with power, but with character. Because, you know, the lamb could try to fight, I suppose, but it's not going to be very successful. You know, people who know how to slaughter bulls could slaughter a lamb whether it fought or not. Right? It would not be successful if it fought, but Jesus was not weak. Jesus was meek, uh, and this is a, mess, a description of his character. Uh, he, he is like a lamb before its shearers. It is silent. It is not crying out. He was oppressed, but, but aside from uh, his willingness and his meekness, if Jesus was not meek, those who tried to oppress him could not oppress him right they, they they could they could try but they could not hurt him he would they he did they did not did not they did not have the actual power to do what they sought to do they thought he did they did because they were they were oh, surprised or or deceived i guess by his meekness deceives isn't the word i want to use because it's not like he was tricking anybody Uh, He wasn't doing anything like that, but aside from his meekness, they did not have the ability to do what they did, but because he is meek, they did have the ability to do it, and had he chosen to open his mouth, had he said, I've had enough of this, I'm going to do something about it, do you think the man who calmed the storm said, peace be still, could not have stopped these people, right? If you remember the story, Jesus is asleep in the boat. And and the disciples are bailing, and the storm's getting bigger, and this boat's about to be swamped. And they wake him up, they they say, don't you care? And he got up, and he said, peace be still. And the storm stopped. And it's really funny, because you see that the disciples were afraid before, but it's not till after he calms the storm that it says they were terrified. (laughs) Do you think he could not have stopped these people from oppressing him? Do you think he did not have the power had he chosen to speak? Do you think he could not have called 10,000 angels? You know, we, we went through the story of Hezekiah where one angel of the Lord came down and slew 185,000 Assyrians in a night. Jesus said, I could have called, asked my father and he would have given me 10,000 angels. Do you think he could not have done that? Had he chosen to speak? But he was meek. He was meek. It's not that he was not powerful. It's that he chose not to use his power. He was meek. He could have easily stopped all the oppression and all the affliction, but he accepted it, and he accepted it for our our sake. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And then it goes on, it says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due? And it says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And like I said, this word's a little different for oppression. It's it's not the unjust use of power. It has to do with restraining someone. They restricted or restrained him. He was restrained and he was judged and he was taken away. But again, only because he was meek Right? Jesus died. They put him in the tomb. They roll a stone across the tomb. Pilate's seal is on the tomb. Pilate's guards are in front of the tomb. Pilate's seal and Pilate's guards and the stone door could not restrain him. <laughs> they could not restrain him. You've got to be kidding. They thought they could restrain him? They, they, they oppressed him. They restrained him. They thought they could. Only because he was meek. They could not do what they tried to do. Death could not restrain him. Remember Houdini? Houdini says, I'm going to escape death. He said, I'll be back. He never did come back. And by the way, he won't. (laughs) Houdini could not escape death. Uh, Jesus didn't escape death. He overpowered death. Death had no hold on him. And they thought they could restrain him. They thought they could restrain him and oppress him. Those who oppressed him little understood how little power they had to oppress. They did not have the ability to do it. They simply could not. Uh, you don't have the ability to do it. But, but, but uh, they tried. And in their foolishness and arrogance, they thought they did. But it was his meekness that he displayed for our sake that allowed them to do anything to him at all. And, and, and this verse, never miss the irony that's in this verse. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Okay, judgment. What is judgment? Judgment, uh, there, is, there is the sense of judgment in which there is a verdict decreed, and the judge says, I find you guilty, right? And there is that sense of judgment. There is the judgment in the sense of sentencing someone, and I'm going to give you 17 years or three months or two days or whatever it is. But judgment also carries the idea of careful thought, of thinking something through. And we say someone is of sound judgment, Right? And what are we saying? They're thinking clearly. They're evaluating things. They're doing all these, these things. And so, and so, listen to this, by oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was... And, and, and what he's saying is uh, he was taken away by judgment by this thought process, but they didn't think of this. Right? They, 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 they thought it through enough to judge him and condemn him, but they didn't consider that he was cut off from the land of living for their wrongdoing. They did not think through far enough to recognize this. There is an irony in this. You considered it enough to condemn him, but did you consider this? And you know that feeling that when you say something and then all of a sudden you realize that you've got your foot stuck in your mouth? You did not think of that. You did not realize the effect of what you were going to say, and, and, and you, you can't get it out fast enough or thoroughly enough. And it's so easy to jump to conclusions, and we do it all the time, right? Uh, Very often, we we do not have the information that we need to jump to the conclusions that we jump to. (laughs) You know, we we jump to conclusions and then find out more information that, oh, if I had known that, I might not have said this. But now that I know that, I'm going to go to this position, and then we find out that that new information we got, that was wrong too. (laughs) And we are limited by the little bit of stuff that we think we know, and we condemn our leaders, And we condemn nations. And we condemn the church down the block. (laughs) Right? And we condemn uh, political parties. And we condemn, you know, fill in the blanks. And sometimes they are worthy of condemnation and sometimes we don't, don't know what we're talking about. And we're just simply too quick to bring out this condemnation because we don't know enough. And these people, they, they, they thought they knew enough that they could judge him, but had they considered that he was cut off from the land of living for their sins? Had they considered that? Would you judge Jesus the same had you thought of that? And, and that is, that is a, a, a something you, can't, you should not miss when you read that, that verse. Otherwise, the verse is kind of lost. It's like, what does a generation have to do anything? that they they were cutting him off, they were punishing him with their own sin and for their own sin. Have you considered that he was dying, you who killed him, have you considered that he was dying for your guilt? That he was paying the price of your sin? Have you considered that he's getting what you deserve? Have you considered that, people? No? And you know why they didn't consider that? Because they didn't like him. You, you don't want to see things in favor of those that are on the other side from you that are, are opposed to you in some way. And, and so they oppressed him and they judged him. And those who thought they had power and those who thought they had authority used it to oppress him and he allowed it. He allowed it and because he allowed it, they, it looked to them even more so like they had the power and the ability so that they stood outside the, 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 in front of the cross and mocked him. You who healed others, will you not save? Or saved others, will you not save yourself? Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. But the meek shall inherit the earth. And and it looked like they removed him from the earth, that <laughs> the earth will be his. It looked like he lost. It looked like the meek did not inherit the earth, but the meek will inherit the earth, and, and the earth will be his. And, and when I say that, I'm not saying that verse is talking only to him or about him. When Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth, he was giving us directions of how we should live. But we recognize is that he lived that way first, and he taught us how to do it. And so, and so we want to... I, I just could not escape that as I worked on this message. The meek shall inherit the earth. He did, and we shall. But not in the same, same degree. And then verse 9, as we move on with this, we find that the oppression fails at death. And the meek shall inherit the earth. It's not a guarantee for what we shall receive in this life on this unfair, sinful, condemned planet. It is a promise of eternal reward. Because when Jesus died, listen, it says, And his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was a rich man with a rich man in death, and people have stumbled over this for years, trying to make sense of it. And and, and when you look at it in terms of seven, eight, and nine being a connected passage, you see uh, he was oppressed and afflicted. He was oppressed uh, by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. His grave was assigned with wicked men. They were still trying to oppress him. They were still trying to use their authority and power to hurt him. Right, uh, by signing his grave with a wicked man. That's what they wanted to do. That was their plan. His grave was assigned with a wicked man, uh, w- or with the wicked men. Uh, it appears, and, and I, I have didn't find proof of this, but I, but I I looked a little for it, and it, it, best I can get is it appears standard operating procedure would have taken these three men down from the crosses, dug a hole, and thrown the three bodies into the one hole and covered it up. That would have been standard operating procedure. His grave was assigned with wicked men. That's what they did with bodies when people were crucified, especially by the Romans because they were in charge of this and they weren't going to go through a Jewish burial and all that stuff. They were going to, to just take them and you know grab them and throw them in a heap because they just didn't want to deal with it as little as possible and get it done with. That's what he was assigned to. It's the Jewish version of a or the Roman version of a boot hill or, or a pauper's field or a potter's field, you know, where someone... Someone dies without relatives or without means and they have to do something with it and there's this, that thing called the potter's field which is actually taken from the field that Judas bought and so we have a Bible-based name for that or a pauper's grave. Uh, and that was their plan and they wanted that to happen. Right? They wanted him to have, the Jewish leaders wanted the Romans to do that to him. That was, what, that was their desire. They wanted to deal with him even in death, have him dealt with dishonorably. Have he, they wanted to oppress him even to the grave. And so when we look at that and we look at the, the contrast, his grave was assigned with wicked men, but, or yet, he was with a rich man in his death. Okay? And that's not because the rich man is sinful. It's not like he's trying to take something like that. Uh, he was instead given an honorable grave. He instead is given an honorable tomb. He is not oppressed over death. God did not allow him to be uh, oppressed after death. We find the meek shall inherit the earth. So Joseph of Arimathea, this guy that nobody even knew was a follower of Christ, but he's a rich man, and he just happens to have this brand new tomb carved into the hillside, still had that fresh tomb smell. Right, it, 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 brand new tomb just just carved into the hillside never been used he's, he's looking ahead he, he's, he's planning ahead for his own death and, and, and these tombs the way they were used it was, it was like a family mausoleum kind of a thing and they would share that grave his whole family would but it had never been used it was brand new hadn't been used yet and Joseph of Arimathea that nobody knew was a follower of Christ goes up and he knocks on Pilate's door and the pilot says yes he says can I have the Bible body of Christ and Pilate first thing he says is he's dead seemed kind of quick to him and they, he, he sends word word comes back yep he's dead he says okay Pilate didn't care Joseph of Arimathea did <laughs> and God is behind the whole thing right because God will not let him be dishonored or oppressed anymore those days are done right? Those days are done. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. In spite of all the things he was accused of, in spite of all the things they wanted to do, they wanted to shame him in death, but God said, no, I'm going to honor him. And they didn't get what they wanted, but God got what they wanted because guess what? The meek inherit the earth. In other words, saying the meek win in the end. And God honored him because he had done no wrong. He had done no violence. He had done no deceit. He did not fight his own battles. He let God fight for him. And though they oppressed him, and they afflicted him, and they judged him, and they killed him, they did not win. And, and, and that's symbolized in that they could not bury him. <laughs> At least not the way they wanted to. And he won. There are two lessons. First of all, the meek will inherit the earth. Trust God and recognize that in this life the earth may be lost. Not only the earth may be lost, we may, let me phrase that another way, we may lose in this life. You know, it's, it's like I've, I've got my plan for my life, I've got my plan for how the rest of it's going to play, play out, right? I'm going to live in my house that I have paid for. Drive my car that I have paid for. <laughs> Life will go good, things will go great, and I'm going to pleasantly live out my days. Like my plan. That's my plan. And I I know my plan. Or I should say, my ability to make my plans may not happen. I may lose my house. I may lose my car. I may lose everything. When I say I, I'm not saying me only. If that happens, by by the way, it's probably happening to you too. Right? If we start losing those things, okay, because uh, because it could happen. We don't know where this world is going, or how quickly the world. We know where the world is going. We don't know how quickly it's going there. <laughs> right. Uh, we can lose in this world. That's okay. It's not this world that we seek to win in. We seek to win for eternity. God makes our inheritance secure in eternity. And what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lose his soul? Live by faith. Trust God to make things work out. Believe the meek will inherit the earth. The second lesson, trust Jesus Trust Jesus who loved us so much that he did not use his power to save himself and he could have. He didn't have to go like a lamb. He didn't have to go he didn't have to go at all. He could have said, "Nope, you know what, guys? That throne is mine, I want it now." And he could be sitting there still. He didn't have to go at all. But our salvation was tied up in that. His desire was not to save himself. He did not come to save Jesus. Jesus didn't have to come save Jesus. Jesus came to save us because we are important to him. So important that he suffered like that for us. If you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, please do so now. Because everything he did, he did for that purpose, he, he, I guess he had other purposes beyond that, but that was his main goal. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And until you have Jesus Christ, that is you. So if that's you, uh, trust Jesus as your Savior. As I've said before, it's, it's, not <laughs> it's, it's simple, but it's hard. There, there, there's no great depth to it. There's no great secret to it. But it's hard because it's real. And you know you're changing something about your life. You know that in trusting Him, you're no longer trusting yourself. You know, and it's a free salvation, but it has a price. <laughs> because Jesus asks us to live for Him. And it will change. It ever changes for the better. But it's hard. And if you, say, if you are that person who's holding back because you say, but it's hard, I don't want to do it, I want to tell you something. The fact that it is hard is evidence that it is real. Because if it was not real, it would be easy he's believing in Santa Claus if it's not real. Because it is real, because it is hard, is evidence it's real. And if it's hard for you, then recognize that means you need to respond. That's God speaking to you saying, this is real and you need it. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to tell, tell Jesus for you, I invite you to pray with me, that you trust him as your savior. Father God, I thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you paid that price for my salvation. I thank you that you loved me so much that you stayed quiet and did not defend yourself so that you would die for me. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your sacrifice. Lord Jesus, I take you as my Savior. I accept this gift, and I praise you as my God and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.